the message for today that we're, that we're going to be looking at about the kingdom is um, specifically, I, I had an individual in my mind as I was putting this together and doing it. And so one individual was a focus of what I was going to be saying here today, okay? Of everything I was going to say was all about you. Who is it? wonder who it is. Everything I'm going to say today was all specifically designed for someone here. Well, seeing that we've been married 50 years, it must be me. <laughs> so anyway, we'll figure out who that is later, okay, as we go along. Okay, last week we were talking about relationships. We started with marriage, the most intimate of all personal relationships on the planet, Okay. Then we went from there to friends, and then we went into our church and some. But one one thing I did not do last week, and I want to bring that into this week, is look at Romans eight five, one of the verses from last week. So turn over Romans eight five, because that really kind of leads us into what we're doing today. So we kind of left that one for for now. Romans eight five. Oh my god! Oh, I'm so jealous. Can I go run through that too? Oh man! I'm gonna go. All right, let's, let's read this. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So now, this is just told to us by God that the two types of people in this world, the ones who are of the flesh, their minds are dwelling on things of the flesh. And those who are of the Spirit are dwelling on things of the Spirit. So now that right there is a challenge to you and I. I don't know what happens to you when you read that, but I know what happened to me when I'm reading that. That's, that's quite a challenge because which side of that do I want to be on? There's only two options here. Do I want to be on the side where my mind is just constantly thinking of things that have to do with my flesh? Or, or do I want to be thinking about things that have to do with the spirit? Now, let me ask you a question. If you were thinking on things of the spirit, what would that look like? Somebody come up with an idea. What do you think that would look like if you were thinking of things well, of the Spirit? I, I always think, what, how would God address the situation? Okay. Oh, well, that's a good one. I like that. That's a good one. Well, we have the, the fruit of the Spirit as um, things of the Spirit to think about. Okay. Okay. So if you were thinking about one of those things, then you were thinking about something to do with the Spirit, right? Things of the Spirit. Um, so now, now that's good. I like I like where you're going. Now let's flip it. What does it look like to think on, about things of the flesh? Oh, something about yourself. Okay. Now if I was thinking about the hair that I don't have, that I used to have, and I was thinking about that, well, now would that be self? Yes. Pretty much would, wouldn't it? I'd just be all wrapped up in myself. <laughs> Well, something else about the things of the flesh. Something else you'd be thinking about. Okay. I, I like. Did you did you hear what Sophie just said? Anything that would not be about growing the kingdom. Okay, because now we're getting to the nitty gritty here. If you're if the two things are contrasted, there are the things of the flesh and things of the spirit, it's real obvious what the things of the flesh are. They're not things of the spirit. 
makes it real simple. They're not things that the spirit, when I say that, it's things that are the spirit is not interested in. Okay, that's the real catch-all here with it. What is it that the spirit is interested in? And that Sophie just said. What is, what is the spirit interested in doing in this planet? He is Christ in bodily, you know, it was bodily form. He became a spirit, the Holy Spirit that is there. And he said, I'm giving you another me. Me, an exact copy of me. Who was the king, who is God, that was became flesh for us. And he's given us God in the whole form of the Holy Spirit to now live inside of us. So now, then, what is it that the Spirit's always interested in? What is Jesus always interested in? What is God the Father always interested in? And as you read through the Bible, it becomes very obvious. It's all about the kingdom. So those two things together there, we were just looking at that. Those who are according to flesh set their minds on things that the Spirit's not interested in. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all wrapped up about. And that's what their minds are at. Now, is it okay for us to think about things in the flesh? Yeah. Yeah. Tell me why. What is it? I have to eat. You have to eat. And in order to eat, I have to look at a recipe. Okay. And see what goes into the food. Okay. And then in order for you to eat and you didn't go to work, then your husband had to go there and go earn some money to bring home so you could buy something so we could eat. So now both of us are thinking of something that has nothing to do with the spirit, as as we would think about it. Is that okay? Yep. Josh? go now we're getting down to the nitty-gritty here okay josh was saying well wouldn't that just be have nothing to do with the, the, the biblical flesh because when we look at the biblical flesh what does god show us is and tell us about the biblical flesh what do we know about it it is at war against the spirit so excellent josh josh caught that see the flesh when they start talking about the flesh in the Bible, the flesh wants nothing to do with God. Now, I can go to work. I can go make money. I can go bring money home. I can go to the store. I can cook something. That has nothing to do with our flesh in that sense. Not the way he's talking about here. This is in contrast with the spirit. Because that's what the flesh is. The flesh doesn't want to have anything to do with the spirit. So now... Give me something in your mind that you can think about that doesn't that is actually in contrast to the spirit that you can think on in your brain. Well, I think both examples given could be. Ah, and I like where you're going. Keep going. Because you could make cooking terribly fleshly and against the spirit, and you could make going to work the same thing. Great. Now, how so? How so? If that becomes more important to you than on furthering the kingdom. There we go. Definitely against the spirit. There we go. Now we're getting to the nitty-gritty of this thing. See, it's it's what is your thinking of what you're doing? Can I go to work and work 10 hours a day and it not be against the spirit? How so? 
How so? Explain that glorifying God. Explain that. Okay, so you have a different agenda. I'm not just there working. That's exactly right. What is the purpose of us going to work? We can, we can do almost everything for God and almost everything not for God. Same things. It's all in the mind. Chad? That's the world. That's the world. So if you take it there, you're doing exactly that. So now you're now we're starting to get where we need to go. And I like how you're thinking. Very, very, very good. So now you're starting to see where we're going with this thing, okay? Let's keep reading. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. Now you're catching the concept of what the flesh is. It's hostile toward God. Okay? For it is not even able... Oh, 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 let me hold on. Because the mindset of the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God. It's not even able to do so. For those in the flesh cannot please God. So now we're getting at more defined of what that flesh actually is. It's not just working. It's not shopping. It's not doing all the things we have to do in life. It's when you're doing those things and you're doing it in a way it's hostile toward God. And that's anything and everything we do, we can do it. You can go to church and do it in a way it's hostile toward God. There's, there's nothing you can't do and do that. And then yet you can change all that around by your purpose, by your attitude. What is your reason for doing what you're doing? And you can turn that around and make it all then in terms of purpose for that. Now I want to I want to catch one thing here about this. It says the mindset in the flesh is death. Now, one of those dumb things that we do is we've we've listened to the medical field to tell us what death is by the according to the Bible. <laughs> and I'm not bad batty mouthing the medical field. I'm just kind of poking fun at them for a moment because the Death, according to our way of looking at death, is a cessation of life among the cell in the cells. When the cells no longer have the life that they're one single cell, when it can't do it anymore, that cell has died. When it can't split, can't do what it's supposed to do, all the things it does, when it can no longer do that. And so death to us as a human is when your cells now, those the life has gone out of those cells, and now you die. Now, back to the Garden of Eden. Okay, let's take a trip back for a little bit. God told Adam and Eve, the day you eat of this fruit is the day you die. How old was Adam when he died? 962 years. He lived for 900, I don't know how long after he died, after he sinned, after he broke the commandment, but I catch you. Um, but but it, we have 962 years. Is God really that bad at math? Can he really not count any better than that? <laughs> so what, something different about the way God looks at death. You catch that? There's quite a bit different. When you, when you look through the Bible, you see when you sin, you die. When your mind is set on the flesh, it's death. You die. 
And yet you go all the way to the other end of the, the Bible and you go over to Revelation and you go over to 19 and God's casting everybody into hell and it's a great white throne of judgment and he's casting them in hell. What does he call that? Second death. Now between your birth and between that second death, how many times do you think you die when you think on your flesh it's death or when you sin it's death? How many thing, times do you think you actually died in your lifetime? I mean, my goodness. Who? Huh? So many, yeah, so many. So obviously our perspective of death and life is really off. We don't think in terms of how God thinks. And that's why we don't think that way. Because did Adam and Eve die? Absolutely they did. But what you see in the Bible, this is how I like to explain it. It makes more sense when I go through the Bible. Is death is this. It's a change in the way you experience life for the worse. Now think of Adam and Eve. The day they disobeyed God and sinned, their world got way worse. <laughs> yeah. Worse in terms of what? Um, in terms of what? what? What made it worse? Okay, I'm going to throw that back out at you guys. What made their life worse? How did their life change for the worse? What happened? What happened to Adam and Eve when, when they died? They were no longer in communion with God. They were no longer in communion with God. Now, what do you mean by communion? Because they did talk to God right after that. He talked to them. What do they mean by communion? Intimate partnership. Partnership. Look at there. That partnership had completely changed. How do you know it changed? They hid from God. What happened to the friendship? That intimate partnership. What happened? They went and hid from him. Instantly changed. And they knew it. Instantly. It had changed for the worse, not for the better. So now let's just flip it around for a minute. What do you think eternal life is? The life that God's talking about? It's a change in life for the better. That's how you want to look at it in the Bible. Okay? That's how you want to look at it. For example, look at this. It says, um, the mind set on the flesh is... No, no, no. Let's go back up here. The mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. And the word peace in the Greek has an idea of, of harmony. Harmony with God. Okay, you see that? What a difference. What a contrast. The mindset in the flesh creates a world of, it's, you're just, it's just getting worse. It just gets worse. Think of the second death. You thought life, you know, people thought life was bad prior to that. You know, then they, then they go in a holding place waiting for the great white throne of judgment. That's not, that's not the second death yet. No, no, no. What's the second death going to be? A change in the way they experience life for the worse, they can't even imagine. And that's what the second death is. No matter how bad it was before, oh no, it's getting worse. That change, because see, they're not dying. They're not dying in terms of how we think of death. They're dying in terms of how their life was. I don't care how bad it was. It wasn't bad like it's going to be. That's the second death. It just gets way worse. On that second one. So that's, that's because we're an eternal being, right? That's exactly right. The only thing that dies in the terms of how medical science looks at us is this body. But my spirit and soul don't. They go on, they go on, they go on, they're gonna go on for all eternity. He created the soul and body and flesh, uh, excuse me, soul and spirit is there forever. It's an eternal being, and it's gonna be one of two places. 
is going to have new life, life for the better, or it's going to have a second death, a life that's way worse. And that's how God, you see in the Bible. And that's why you see Jesus almost get frustrated with people sometimes when that girl died. And, and they come in there and, and he says, oh, she's not dead. She's sleeping. They go, they get all over him. What do you mean, what do you mean she's sleeping? She's dead. She's been dead for a couple of days now. What do you mean she's not? And he goes, no, no, she's sleeping. And finally he says, okay, okay. Physically, she's dead. But no, she's still around. You don't understand that. She's still alive. Her spirit and soul are. And then he brings her physical body back to life and brings it back. You see how that works? And you got to keep that in mind as you're reading through the Bible because sin, what is sin going to do to your life? It's going to make, it's going to bring death to you. It's going to make your life way worse. And humans were meant to be in that communion with God in a most perfect, perfect way. And the death was that died. They were still alive, but that death, that killed that perfect, intimate partnership with God. Never to come back until what had to take place in order for that to be resolved. What is it? Propitiation. There we go. Propitiation. Till the crucifixion of Christ, the means God would use so then he could lavish us with his grace and kindness and that life without violating his own his own judicial righteousness. That's what had to take place and come to us. And that's what opened the door for that, for that real life to come that we could experience. That's why when Jesus said in John 10, I came to give life. And life even far bigger than you never have could imagine. He's opening that doorway for us to have that kind of life again, okay? So that's what we see here. So in this, in this now, you think about this for a moment. And, and we, we could put anybody over here. And it could be your spouse, your neighbor, it could be your friends. It could be good friends at church, good, good neighbor friends, good cousins, good whatever. Anybody over there. And it could be your spouse. And again... To have this harmony, to have this life the way it was meant to be by God. What needs to take place for this to be in harmony with whomever that is? What needs to take place? And we just saw it right there in, in, in Romans 5. Romans 8, 5. What is it? They have to live by the Spirit. That's exactly right. You see, each person has to have their minds working towards the kingdom of God. And here... So that then they can have what he said, life and peace, life and harmony. The fullness of the life and have the harmony that he wanted to give us. Does that make sense? You catch that and understand that? That is so important to where we're going, okay? That is, that is really important. Now, grab your papers. We're going to look at the first one. Now we're down to what is it like to raise children in the kingdom of God? Okay? What is it like to raise children in the kingdom of God? Can I get someone to read number eight? Who are, your ra- who are you raising your children to be, and what do you want them to do with their life? You should be raising them to be and live all of the above, teaching them how to willingly surrender to the reign of God and actively participate in an intimate partnership with Him. As their parent, you are responsible, responsible to do everything you can so that your children will one day be transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. This is salvation. And this is what you raise your children to do with their life. This is what you do. Okay? Now, what verse up there do you think I'm drawn from for that one? 
Luke 18:16. Luke 18:16. Okay, put that down there and let's turn to Luke 18:16. All right. Very good. Luke 18:16. Uh, let me jump into 15, just kind of set the stage. And they were bringing even their babies to him, so that he would touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they began rebuking them. But Jesus called for them and said, "Wait, well, you know, you can just see him." Hold on here, hold on here a minute. Guys, what are you doing? Permit the children to come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And then he says, truly I say to you, because this, this whole story really is about adults. Then he says, then I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. Great lesson for us. Now, we have a tendency to seem like we focus on the, on the child. God, Jesus is really hitting us with this. There's a truth here that is so important and valuable for us to learn. Okay, what he's, what he's saying. This is, um, this is quite, quite an interesting thing. Here is, here is Jesus. To the, all these people that were sitting around, here's, here's Jesus, this human standing there talking to them. And he says, he says to them, permit the little children to do what? To come to, to who? Him, Jesus. Permit the children to come to me, to Jesus. But look what he says after that. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. You see what he just did? What did he just do there? He just brought two things together. Himself and the kingdom. Thank you, Paul. He just equated himself with the kingdom of God. He just equated the kingdom of God with himself. Don't hinder the kids from coming to me. And by the way, I am that kingdom. I'm the kingdom. Don't you dare hinder them from coming to the kingdom. You see, he is the kingdom of God. And what is the kingdom? There we go. So now, yeah. How, um, how is how is Jesus that? Because that, that definition doesn't really make sense if you're referring to one person. Interesting, interesting. Or, or, he keeps me on my toes all the time. Because that definition is looking more at our position, and I guess not so much his position. In it. Ephesians one has a concept, a two-word concept that runs through it numerous times. I, almost every other verse has this concept in it. Two words, runs all through Ephesians 1. Can anybody tell me what that is? In Christ. Ah, there we go. Or in Him. In Christ, in Him, in Christ, in Him, in Christ, in Him, in Christ, in Him. All the way through that chapter, he's talking about we are in Him, in Christ. You see, the kingdom is Christ. And where are we? We have that intimate partnership with him. Where is Christ? Where is he? Where is he? Where is his throne? Right inside of us. Do you see that connection now drawn together? When he said that to these people, if they would have thought for a moment, if they had Caleb in the crowd, okay, and Caleb could have asked that question or asked that question, wait a minute, wait a minute, how does that work? Wait a minute, you're... How do we come to the kingdom, but come to an individual? You see, that's what people should have been doing. 
That's what you and I should be doing with our lives. What does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God? You're going to think about it so strongly you're going to crave it. More than food and more than food, what you drink and what you wear. You're going to you want it so strongly that it becomes an addiction. You crave it. You won't let it go. Because you want in that relationship. You want to understand that kingdom truth that badly. I've got to know it. I've got to know it. I've got to know it. And so you're pursuing it with that kind of intensity. Just took it where we're going. You see, because where we're going is into that relationship to that depth where it consumes every single facet of who you are. Then, then it doesn't matter what you do. Your work, when your work is wrapped up in that relationship, work all you want. When, if it's worked up in that relationship, if you're going there and that's your purpose for working is to grow the kingdom of God. <laughs> There's nothing wrong. Go do it. If that's your purpose. If that's your purpose. Now, we're talking about here about raising children, though. We're going to get to that other part in a minute. Right here, we're talking about raising children, raising children. And he says, do not hinder them from coming into that intimate, craving partnership with him. Wow. Let me ask you. When your kids are born, I'm telling all adults that have kids. When when your kids were born, did they know how to feed themselves? Did you know and understand and were doing it? Did you learn how to seek the kingdom of God more more than what you eat, more than what you drink, more than what you wear when you graduate from high school? No. Not even close. You know why? Your parents didn't teach you how. They did not teach you how. Parents, let me ask you, do your high schoolers, when they've graduated from high school, know that today? No. And because you didn't teach them how. You see what happens here? And I'm not doing this to point fingers at you because guess what? My kids did not know a thing about it either. Not a thing about it. And you know why they didn't know anything about it? Because I didn't know anything about it when I was raising them. I had no concept of that kingdom truth and what that was about. And there it is right there in the Bible. So now, let me, everybody raise your hand if you're under the age of 20. Right? You're, you're on your third journey around now, and you're already past it. Under 20. Hands up again. Okay, I'm, I'm talking to you now, right now. Okay, I want you to know something. From the age of 13 to 20, and it, can, it still moves on a little bit past that, we know neuroscience, they've learned all this, that there's a, that's a stage you go through. Okay? That's a stage, and you're in that stage. Um, what happens is your brain is accumulating facts. It's been accumulating facts all of your life. But now it's accumulating facts, and you're in the process of the, in that age of taking those facts and forming opinions about them. That's what happens during that age group, from 13 to 20. 
You're gathering facts and you're forming opinions out of it. Now, those opinions that you're forming during those years are what, when you're 20 to 30, 40 years of age, you're all down this late? You were forming those opinions back in those days and thinking of those things. Can they be altered? Yes, they can be altered. But that, what you're doing right here at this age, is so important. Now, if you go on drugs, if someone goes on drugs, becomes a heavy drug user at that time, guess what happens? They stop the process of their brain being able to cognitively look at these facts, gather them together, and make decisions about it. They actually lose that, and, and it doesn't come back. Because that, that grows and happens during a stage of a human's life. You ever talk to a 40-year-old that acts like they're about 12 when you're talking to them? Yeah. That's what drugs do. You lose the ability to then be able to use the brain the way God designed it. And that's what now, this time right here in your life, this time, every one of you needs to spend your life right now, this life that's in front of you right now, learning about the kingdom of God. Right now. And get this down so strongly that when you're 20, you've got it. You understand these truths. And guess what you're doing with all those facts? You're now living them. Now you're taking them and living them. I would give anything in the world to go back and learn that truth and know that when I turned 21. Now, here's what happens. We're in a world of the domain of darkness. That's what we come out of. And the domain of darkness is your greatest enemy going. We live in that world. It is what we do. Let me give you an example. Personal life out of me. When I was 16, 15, and 16, I, it was my two best years of baseball I ever had. Since I was 10, 8, 10 years old, all I wanted to do was become a professional baseball player. And that was my goal. And so I spent most of my time doing everything I could to become, my goal was this. I didn't want to just be a professional baseball player. I wanted to dethrone Babe Ruth and Ted Williams, the two greatest hitters that ever lived. That was a pretty lofty goal. <laughs> but I worked hard at it. I worked hard and I worked hard at it. My mom and dad were very proud of some of the accomplishments, the things that were going on. When I was 15 and 16, more people knew my name in Riverside than they knew any doctor or probably anybody else in the city because of the amazing accomplishments that just happened to fall my way. Just in the right place, right time, and I got to do things with it. And to see your, you know, your face, all of you on the front page of the sports page, and there you are, you know, just put us in the World Series. I got to play in two co-league World Series when I was 15, when I was 16, and went, and, and just it was, you know, to me, it was a, an amazing moment. And it was very special. I was heading towards the big leagues, I thought. You know, I'm going to the big leagues. I was 17, I graduated, I got drafted by the Cleveland Indians to go play baseball. Fantastic, I'm going to Florida. I'm going to go down there and play for the Cleveland Indians. Now, even back in my parents' hometown in Michigan, my, my picture shows up there. <laughs> and then my uncle sent it to us, going, wow, Mike's even made our papers. <laughs> Here, look at this, and I sent it to So my mom and dad are thrilled to death. They're just thrilled to death. Because I was going to the big leagues, is how they saw it. Now, if I go to the big leagues, man, I'm going to make a lot of money. They're going to be very proud of me. What a, what a life I'm going to have is how they looked at it. 
since then, since now, I look at all this stuff. I'm down here for a few months, and all of a sudden, my arm's gone. Throw my arm out, it's gone. Done, career over. Ended as fast as it started. But here's what I saw. Here's what I've noticed, and here's what I, I see it happen. My parents were training me. They were encouraging me. They were not hindering me. They were doing everything possible to let me fulfill that and become that. And let me put it a different way. They were doing everything possible to get me into being a successful person in the domain of darkness. That's where I was going. The domain of darkness. Let me show you why. Luke 18. Let's go down a little farther. Verse 24. Let's jump in maybe a little earlier. A ruler questioned him, Jesus said. Good teacher. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, he's always so, he's so brilliant to make points about who he is. He says, Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. He just, he was just throwing that out there because guess what? I am good because I am God. (laughs) I am God. So he brought that to his attention. Who, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things I've kept from my youth. We didn't have one really righteous guy or one really self-righteous guy, arrogant. I'm not sure which he was. And, um, And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he had heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. You see what my parents were doing? They, they were so encouraging. They were so behind me. As much as I wanted to practice and play baseball, they were behind it. They did everything they could. Tell me along that path. And guess what they were doing? They were sending me off to a world that was going to be extremely difficult for me to ever join and become part of the kingdom of God. That's Jesus' words. How hard it is for a wealthy person to enter the kingdom. Why is that? Why do you think that is? Flesh. What about it? Why, why is that going to? It just desires wealth. It desires the things. It desires wealth more than it's going to desire the kingdom. More than it desires following Christ. It, that, that stuff just weighs on it. Weighs on it. Draws on it. And then Jesus says later on, because where your treasure is, there your heart is. You see, so now, let's go, let's take, well, leave me for a moment. Let's go to any of you. Any of you want your kid to be a doctor? And you'd love it if your child was going to be a doctor. You'd, I mean, you'd be doing everything you could to support them, push them in that direction. You know what you're doing? You're pushing them directly into that world of wealth that makes it almost impossible, which is what the disciples even ask. That's impossible. Who can? And he says, yeah, you're right. It is impossible. But with God, those things are possible. But you think about it. When you're doing that, you're pushing them into making it so hard that it's most likely they're not going to get into the kingdom. That wealth. Wow, do we not make our ever talk to our kids about being doctors not if you have never taught them what it means to seek first the kingdom of God you see if you have taught your child about the kingdom of God 
and you've raised them that way, and they understand that, and you've put the effort in, and they've learned that, by all means, send them off to be a doctor. Because now, what are they going to do as a doctor? Their purpose for being a doctor is so then they can use their money to go grow the kingdom of God. They can go help people and talk to them about the kingdom of God. They can go to another country, and they're welcome to come in and bring the gospel of the kingdom there, you see? But if you don't teach them that about the kingdom of God, you're sending them off and going to make it extremely hard for them to ever get in the kingdom. That's what Jesus said. How about to be a lawyer? How about to be an engineer? How about to be a scientist? Astronaut. Astronaut. (laughs) Baseball player, yeah. (laughs) And all of that, you're pushing them into a world of wealth. And without the background of having a purpose that this age group from 13 to 20 that can put into them where they can understand the facts, bring them there into their cognitive reasoning and now start to understand what they're to do with their life. Oh my goodness, parents, what we're doing to our kids. What we are doing to our kids when we do that. And you kids, what you're going to do to yourself if you do not learn these truths. If you don't learn to understand the kingdom of God, you're going to go out into that world and you're going to get eaten up by it. You're going to get all the pressures of it. You're going to want to have to go that route and do all these things. And makes your life tough. Really tough. And finding that purpose, oh, because your purpose is going to have something to do with the, your wealth and your job and, and those things. I was teaching a bunch of high schoolers one time. And um, I was teaching a bunch of stuff, and one of the high schoolers came up to me afterwards and said, Mr. Bradley, I want to be an engineer. Now, I was just happened to be reading the other day <laughs> about this passage. And if I be an engineer, it means I'm going to make a lot of money. Oh, and it hit him. It hit him. They were going, this one said, what, what do I do? I, if, if I go and be an engineer, that's a, it's, it's going to make it so hard for me to be in the kingdom of God. Caught in high school. Somebody picked that up and caught it. That opened up a long discussion that we could have all about the kingdom and the purpose and their purpose and why are they going to make a lot of money God sent you into the world you're in the world you go be an engineer with your purpose for you learn about the kingdom and your purpose is to go get that job so now you can now take the gospel of the kingdom into that world of engineering well you're doing exactly what Jesus said but if you don't learn that now you don't catch that and don't get that into you then you're doing exactly that you're just going to go out And it's going to make it very difficult to get in the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus said, do not hinder them from coming to him, from coming to the kingdom of God. Parents, we we hinder our kids. And I'm the first, 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 first to admit it. That I hindered my kids because I never taught them that. I didn't know it. And I never taught them that. And that's why Jesus said, seek it first. We have to know these things. We have to understand what the kingdom is, how it works, and how we can help our children find that. And you guys, you need to learn that now and be collecting that group and that information in there so you can then determine what you're going to do with your life based on those kingdom concepts. You see that? Now let's go a little further with this. Let's go now down to the next one on on number nine. Grab your paper and let's look at number nine. 
When you retire, you are not suddenly free to stop seeking first the kingdom of God. There is no retirement for a slave of God, slave of God working for the growth and expansion of the kingdom, not until you leave this world. Retirement from working is your chance to work more for the growth of the kingdom without the responsibilities of earning a living restricting you. This is the world of the kingdom of God's beloved son that you have been transferred into. This is salvation. What two verses? Two of them up there are probably dealing with this. Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Let's turn there. This is Paul. He's put a few years in on the trail. He's been out following God, teaching the kingdom of God. He says he taught it everywhere he went. He taught Christ and the kingdom everywhere he went. Christ and the kingdom. Kingdom and Christ. Christ and the kingdom. Everywhere he went. And he's getting older. Look at this. Let's catch verse 12. Not that I have already obtained it. What is he talking about obtaining? Well, let's look at verse 10 and 11 and see what he did. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of. By Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Can you imagine going to Paul? You're a financial you're a financial guy and you're, you put packages together and how people should spend their retirements and everything else and you're going around knocking on the door. Excuse me, sir. Paul. Paul's your name. Um, I'd like to talk to you and I'd like to sit down and let's get together and work on a retirement package for you. Mm-hmm. Retirement. <laughs> you used to see Paul. Retirement? When am I doing that? I'm not doing that until I leave here. My retirement doesn't start until the day I leave. Up until that point, uh, point, I'm pressing on for my entire life. There's no retirement in Paul's thinking. There's no retirement in the Bible. You know where that came from? Guess where retirement came from? Where? <laughs> Satan? <laughs> More truth to that than you realize. Where did, where did that come from? Where? Oh, keep, keep digging. Where? Domain of darkness. Domain of darkness. Yeah, I think government of darkness. That's our government. <laughs> <laughs> that came out of hand right here. <laughs> What's that? And that's right. And, and now you see what Josh said. Exactly. Oh, beautiful. Um, that's beautiful. Now, you see, that's the world of the domain of darkness. That's where all this stuff comes from. Matthew 13. Hold your hand here while we can leave here for a moment. Go back over to Matthew 13. We're going to drop down to 44. For the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in the field which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. What do you buy that field for? What was in that field that he wanted that field for? The treasure that was what? The kingdom, yes. I don't know of anybody I've ever met who sold everything they had to get the kingdom. Why? Why? 
I don't get that. I don't get that. Let's read the next one. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And open, and upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. I don't know anybody's ever done that. Including myself. Why, why, why don't we do that? It's right there. It's so simple. God says, this is the greatest thing. Sell it all and get it. Why don't we do that? Why? Why is that so foreign to us? You know why it is? We've been raised in the domain of darkness. We think in terms of the domain of darkness. And here's what makes this so special. Is why the kingdom is so special is because of this. The world you and I live in is a lie. The world you and I live in is a lie. It's built on lies. Its foundation is lies. Its foundation goes back to the Garden of Eden. It's all built upon lie after lie after lie after lie. And so we live in a world, and so we send our kids off to go to school, and we get as much education as we can, and we're training them to do what? To be successes where? In the domain of darkness. That's what we're teaching them to do. And we don't put even a tenth of the time into training them about the kingdom of God. Because we don't see the value of the kingdom of God. And that's why. We've not caught that. That was me. I I never caught it. I studied my Bible all the time. Memorized books of the Bible. Spent so much time memorizing so many verses and everything. I didn't see it. I just was ignorant. I just was moving along and and just kind of going with the status quo. Never saw it. And then all of a sudden, one day, God opened my eyes and I saw it. I literally took my breath away to... Wait a minute, what is, what, is, what is that? Seriously? The kingdom of God from Genesis to Revelation is the biggest concept, the biggest part of the plan of God, of everything he's doing is wrapped up about the kingdom. And that's what the Bible is all wrapped up about, is the kingdom of God. And it's something we just completely miss. We don't even see this. We wouldn't even think of doing it, but we don't because it's not so much that we don't see this great value in the kingdom. What's even worse is this, is we see a greater value in the domain of darkness that we live in. That's the bigger problem. That really is our problem, is we're so wrapped up in the domain of darkness, we can't see outside to catch how beautiful the kingdom is. And we would never sell everything that I have to get that kingdom because that would make me look like a fool in the domain of darkness. That's where my heart is. That's where my world is. That's what I live in. Now, that's just a fact of life. Now, what I I'm, what I'm, want to address here with you is I told you I had somebody in mind when I was going to step teach this today. I had one specific, specific individual. You know what it was? Someone. Which is everyone in this group. You're all someone. And it applies to every one of us in this group. Every single one of us. It's, it, it is us. 
we live in the domain of darkness. And because we live there and we're so comfortable here and we spend our time and energy in this world, we don't have the energy, the time and the effort to look at that kingdom and to seek it first. And therefore we'll be stuck living in this domain of darkness all our lives. You know, I, I think of you kids as high schoolers. You know, there's only been, I've, I've been around, you know, 68 years. Oh, almost 69. Coming up quick, aren't we? Um, a lot of years, and I've seen a lot of high school groups. A lot of high school groups. Some really good ones, some really bad ones. Bunch in between. I've seen a whole bunch. And in my entire lifetime, I've only known one high school group who was learning about the kingdom of God. You know who the teacher was? Eric. One time I've ever heard anybody teach about the kingdom of God in high school. Well, the most prime time for kids to be learning about the kingdom of God is that age right there. That's when you can take those facts and you can turn them inside. You can get them in your cognitive mind. You can reason with them. You can think about them. And then when you graduate from high school, now you have some kingdom concept to now start forming your purpose in your life, to start making your decisions on whatever you're going to go do. Go be a doctor. Go be a professional baseball player. Go be a lawyer. Go be an engineer. Go dig ditches. Go work at 7-Eleven. Go do it. Go anywhere. When you understand the kingdom of God, then that all doesn't matter. What matters is you're going out to take and grow the kingdom of God. You see that? And then your job is the greatest job on the planet in God's eyes. Not in the domain of darkness. You're out working in 7-Eleven. But if your purpose is to go to 7-Eleven and work there, so you can take the gospel of the kingdom there and you can be a part of that and take that to that world and those people, that's the greatest job on the planet. That's the greatest job on the planet, according to God. Because it's all involved with his kingdom. So, the whole purpose here is just this, about the kingdom of God. Look over, we'll close off here right now. Luke 19. Do you remember the story? Terrible of the nobleman. The nobleman, he came, came to do what? To get a kingdom. Jesus is talking about himself. Isn't it beautiful? He came to get a kingdom. And then it says he left. And what did he do with those behind? To grow the kingdom. And he put them in check. Olivia, what did you say? To, to do business for the kingdom. To grow the kingdom. So some got 10 minus, 5 minus, 1 minor, and they start going out, and something happens almost immediately. A whole group of people do what? They raise up and do what? They don't want him. They say, no, we don't want that man to reign over us. We're not surrendering to his rule. No way. We're not doing it. And then the nobleman comes back, and he calls those he gave the minus to. And he says, all right, you want the 10 minus, what'd you do with it? He goes, I got 10 more. Oh, well done. You just grew my kingdom that much more? Wow, fantastic. Next one had five. What do you do with it? He gained five more with it. Fantastic. You grew my kingdom that much. Fantastic. 
Third one. Third one. What did he do with this? Buried it. Buried it. He buried it. Did nothing with it. Didn't do a thing. Lived his life. Life's over. And he did nothing to grow the kingdom that the king came to get. And he didn't do anything with it. And now we got a fourth element in there, and that's the people that said, I don't want him to reign over me. So he calls those people that didn't want him to reign over. Didn't want him to reign over him. What's he do with those? Slaughter them. Slaughters them. <laughs> you said that with some vim and vigor. I think that, that was that enthusiasm, yeah. And he says, do it right in front of me. Then he calls the third guy. And what's, what's he do with the third guy? The guy that buried it and did nothing with it. What happens to him? Takes on everything. Anything that he had, he takes it away from him. And, he and gives, gives it to one that had ten. Now, there's a, there's a parallel parable over in Matthew 25 that talks about that. It's just a little bit of a difference on it. And in Matthew 25, this, this first guy, where you don't catch it, or I mean, the third guy, you don't catch it here. But it's the same parable. Either Jesus told it twice in his last week of his death, or it's one, two different people looking at it. And, and saying it just a little bit differently. But the third guy, he's cast in the outer darkness. Outer darkness in the Bible is hell. The third guy. So we have the first one who used all his money, his resources, to go do what he could to grow the kingdom. No restrictions on that. Just go use it, what you got, and go use it for the kingdom. The second guy, go use it for the kingdom. No restrictions on that. God just rewarded both those guys immensely. The third, no. He did nothing with it. And the fourth, they didn't even want him to reign over them. Now, here's where I'm going with this whole thing. You're one of those four people. Someone, that someone that is designed this message around... That someone, which is all of us, is one of those four people. Now, for prayer tonight, we're going to close our whole group out this way. I want you to get by yourself this time. Don't get with any other group. You can sit here. You can walk over. If you, take, if you go do it three minutes or you go do it 30 minutes, I don't care. But I want you to examine your life and look at those four and be honest. Where am I? Because, you know, when I first started to see the kingdom, I turned 49 years old and got my first glimmer of it in there. And it didn't really start soaking in until I was about 53 when it started to really now to start grasp the kingdom. It was that late in my life. And so I said, I'd give anything to know this and be back and graduate from high school. You have a chance right now, whatever age you are, to look at that and say, oh, oh, I'm, I'm a three, I want to be a four. I mean, a four, yeah. You're a three, you want to be a four? Don't come back. <laughs> if you're a three and you want to be a two or you want to be a one, make that choice. Go sit down with God and talk about it. So now break up in, as individuals and go spend a few moments in time and figure out where you're at and where you want to be 10 years from now. And what do you want to do with your life? You know, this is the only time you and I have to give our lives 
for growing the kingdom of God, to having this intimate partnership with him, partnership to grow his kingdom, a partnership with God to grow his kingdom. Because when we leave here, we're not in this world anymore. The kingdom is there. And this is the only time, if you have 10 years, 50 years, 80 years left, whatever it is, it's only a short moment that you have left to do what you're going to do for the kingdom of God.